Mm-hmm. But yeah, you would you would see everything. My favorite is one year we had a guy come into the medical tent, and some people dress up. They like to do this, you know. It's a mm-hmm. big race, and he had constructed basically a Roman gladiator costume out of crushed beer cans. And there was probably <laughs> I don't know. It probably took forty or fifty, and he came in and he was bleeding. And I, I said, you know, come on in. You're a moron, and we'll take care of you. And he's like, I know, I know, and it, it looked great. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance. My name is George Darden, and on this podcast, along with Patrick Ollinger, we talk about issues of interest to the local, national, and international endurance communities. Thanks for being with us. Uh, today, we have an interview with someone who uh, is a old friend of mine, but also an all-around interesting guy, uh, Josh Glass. Uh, Josh is the, the owner of Georgia Sports Chiropractic, uh, and he's going to talk to us not only about chiropractic and the role that that plays uh, in uh, training and recovery and that sort of thing, uh, but also about the work that he's done working with the University of Georgia and with Ole Miss and with Georgia Tech and with uh, various national teams and Olympic teams uh, in track and field. Uh, so without further ado, let's uh, let's take it away and listen to the interview that Patrick and I just did with Josh Glass. And we're here with Josh Glass. Josh, thanks for being with us, man. Thanks for coming over on Sunday, guys. Josh is wearing his uh, United States Olympic team pullover. Mm-hmm. We have the uh, the World Championship streaming on his gigantic television in his living room here. Mm-hmm. Um, so so yeah, I think that's appropriate, mm-hmm. right? So, and, the, and the Georgia hat. Uh, well, that's less appropriate, the Georgia hat. Well, speaking of which, it actually reminds me, didn't a couple of weeks ago, didn't you coach, or not coach, but help out, like, uh, like help with the Georgia team at indoor SECs? Yeah, I went on there with their medical staff. How'd that go? It's good. Team team did awesome. Thanks for asking. <laughs> the well, uh, the women see. got second at conference. They're currently ranked first in the country. So they're, they're going that's for different. a <laughs> national championship. Um, the guys are the guys got fifth at conference and are probably ranked about the same nationally. So yeah. they're they're uh, better than they've ever been and on the rise. So it's fun. Yeah, all right. So me making fun of the University of Georgia didn't really work out all that well. Um, where, where did you get your doctorate from? <laughs> from the University of Georgia. Shut where up. Where is your dad really like involved? Like super. Right. Where, where does my dad have two degrees from? Where does yes. my Where does my wife have two degrees from? Come on, man. It's just we keep it in, in families, in the state, same state. That's right. That's right. Uh, Josh and I uh, are old friends. We've known each other since high school. Um, one of Josh's best friends, as it happens, all time best friends, happens to be um, was the was the high school or the cross. What am I trying to say? The captain of my high school cross-country team. Um, and uh, you and he are still friends today, right? Yeah, he's the best man at my wedding coming up. Yeah. There you go. Very good. Uh, his name's Jack Swift. He lives out in Colorado now, right? Yeah. Um, and then uh, and then Josh went to the University of Georgia, as you probably guessed, and I went to Georgia Tech, and so we have a lot of social overlap there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we were both counselors at running camp. Mm-hmm. And I was telling Patrick on the way over here that you actually have the dubious distinction of being one of the people with whom I celebrated my 21st birthday. Uh, that, was, that, was, that was a story I had. I mean, <laughs> you later, over. but... <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's memorable. Mm-hmm. I mean, Drank plenty of water. Yeah. Well, yeah. Isn't that what people do on their 21st birthday? <laughs> um, but these days, Josh, you're a, you're a chiropractor, a sports chiropractor extraordinaire, and... Uh, and as we just suggested, you uh, you work a lot on the medical staffs of uh, Olympic teams and, and UGA and stuff like that. Does um, that kind of cover it? Mm-hmm. That's pretty much it. <laughs> I, work, I work. I have a practice downtown, and then my my hobby is uh, taking off in the summers, especially and going and uh, working with professional track athletes, usually the U.S. ones. But 
sometimes others, and it's uh, it's been a cool gig for the last 18 years. You say sometimes others, so sometimes you work with teams like athletes that aren't U.S. athletes? Yeah, there's times where I've gone, I've uh, contracted with Nike, or I've just gone with a, a group of athletes, so if I'm with the U.S. team, I'll only tr- take care of U.S. athletes, but any other time, I'll, I'll take care of, uh, of any athlete that needs it or I know or have some connection to. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And then, and then, like, the PC Road Race, you've been on the medical staff for the PC Road Race for, too, right? Yes, yeah. Um, and I think I started there in, like, 2004, and, and initially I worked um, in just the, the medical tent where we have a, an area they call walking wounded. So if, if you push too hard and come in, you know, limping or overheat, mm-hmm. There's an area of people to take care of you, um, and then we also set up an area for the the professionals or the elites to get massage or chiropractic treatment after. And I just do that now because it's kind of hard to be in two tents at once. Right, right. So you, you work mostly with the elites now. Yeah, at, for the peach tree. Mm-hmm. Very cool. It's a little less daunting than setting up a medical tent that theoretically has to cover sixty-five thousand people. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I can imagine. That's an interesting job description. But like, let's go back to that. That's pretty interesting, though. So when you were working at the medical tent, I mean, I imagine the most common issue you saw was people overheating. Yeah. Given it's a ten k in July in Atlanta, you know what? What could be a better idea than that? <laughs> um, with a mass amount of people who don't run. But what uh, do you see any any other common injuries from that race or anything any other themes that kind of emerge blisters blisters yeah I mean the most the, the thing that happens whether it's overheating or injury it's with the sheer numbers of people doing it a very large percent of them are untrained or undertrained right, right. and so any there's a whole bunch of uh, list of possibilities that mm-hmm. can happen with uh, with someone ending up in the medical center. now we we do have an emergency side which I was stayed as far away from as possible that were staffed by nurses and ER physicians for the you know the, the true emergencies right um, mm-hmm. but yeah you would you'd see everything my favorite is one year we had a guy come into the medical tent and some people dress up they like to do this you know it's a big race and he had constructed basically a Roman gladiator costume out of crushed beer cans and there was probably <laughs> I don't know it probably took 40 or 50 and he came in and he was bleeding and I, I said you know, come on in, you're a moron, and we'll take care of you. And he's like, I know, I know. And it, it looked great, but he had he had cuts from old beer cans all over his body. Imagine from, that, right? Um, How do you not it, test run that? Uh, it's, it's just Because numbers. that was his first run it's, of the it's year. 65,000 people. He actually, give him credit, he looked pretty fit. Uh, but, yeah, so there are some weird ones that come up. And, and unfortunately, the, you know, it's not uncommon for someone to pass away. Mm-hmm. Someone that hasn't seen their physician and hasn't... Right. You know, had a, a yearly checkup, and they haven't trained at all, and it's really hot. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's uh, it's sixty five thousand people. Mm-hmm. But they, Emory just did a really good study. Um, Dr. Jonathan Kim is one of their leading cardiologists, mm-hmm. and he did pretests on. I don't know what the population was. It was I mean I think it was seventy five or eighty. It was guys that were thirty five and older. Did a did a pre check, and then they came into the tent as soon as they finished and checked him again, and he was looking at the different. You know cardiac signs, and his study showed that you know there's not a you know inherent risk mm-hmm. um, to exercise. But I think I don't know all the specifics of it. I can't remember how what the group was if they were trained or untrained. Hmm. Um, but it, it's one that I always talk about when I'm when we're, we're referencing studies. Yeah. And that his study said, all right, this looks good. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, but somebody dies every year too. So right. study well, can only cover so much. Yeah, most of the time when, when those when folks die, they, they kinda say, Well it was a it was a cardiac event that probably would have taken place whether they were on the no race. No matter or not. what, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's it's sixty five thousand people. 
I mean, and so so you kind of have to imagine sixty five thousand people over the course of four hours on on a summer morning. Mm-hmm. There's probably if you just took any old random sample of sixty five thousand people, there's probably one of them is going to have a heart attack in the United States or that. You know what I'm saying? So right. Now, um, and then you add to the fact that I read that a lot of times during a big race weekend, there's an increase in deaths, like if the weekend of the Chicago Marathon, mm-hmm. just because then the EMT can't drive a lot of streets. So it takes a lot longer oh, to get there. Man, really? It's getting pretty depressing. Yeah, know, right? Yeah. So yeah, Peachtree. Now I just set up a tent. We do, we do massage and chiropractic care on the pros, um, and they're appreciative to have that. For sure. Maybe, the race. And, and, we, and we've talked about this before uh, a few times on this podcast about how pros, I mean, you have to turn around so quickly, and they spend so much more time on recovery and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And so, so for them to finish a hard 10K, then jog a little bit around the park, and then come see you. That makes sense. It's the ideal way to do it, right? Yeah. What, what the rest of us probably don't have access to. Right, right. Um, and so, when you're, since we're, we're going to talk to you about chiropractic in general, but since we're already starting to talk about the, the Olympics and all this sort of thing. So, I know that you did Beijing in 2008. So I did, I went to Athens in 04 okay. and Beijing in 08 with Atlanta athletes. Okay. So, Terrence Schmel and Angela Taylor, mm-hmm. um, you know, hired me. Where did Angela Taylor go to college? Georgia Tech. That's right. I thought so. He attended. Uh, <laughs> Let's not get bogged down on who finishes and who doesn't. Right? Georgia Tech has, a, has an amazing uh, Olympic legacy. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I went to those two. You say through Clint's teeth. Keep going. Nah, I'm the team chiropractor for Georgia Tech. I, I like them a lot. I just don't know why you don't like Georgia. That's really the question. All right, fair. Uh, fair so fair. I went to those two with Atlanta athletes, and then I went to... Um, to the uh, the Rio Games and also the London Games as uh, one of the U.S. Uh, track and field team chiropractors with the USSC. Mm-hmm. So, Olympics are fun. Everybody should go. Yeah. Where do you stay? In the village. Now, when I was with the Atlanta guys um, in a hotel, the U.S. does a really good job of setting up um, what they call it a high-performance training center. Mm-hmm. So, before every Olympics, as soon as they know the location, the USSC will go in and they'll scout it and they'll find a track that they can resurface and rent just for the U.S. athletes. They'll find housing for the, the accessory, the support staff, the coaches, the personal mm-hmm. medical. Um, so they had one of those in Beijing. Uh, in Athens, I was just winging it with a guy named Drew Griffin, and we slept in a loft. <laughs> not a loft, a, a hostel. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I've done the whole spectrum of, <laughs> of uh, staying. But, yeah, the last two, if you're on the, the U.S. medical staff, you stay in the village. Right. Okay, so I'm going to actually push you on the spot a little bit. And I didn't okay. tell you I was going to ask you this question, so I apologize. And, and so if you don't want to answer it, that's cool. The USOC has actually been under a lot of pressure and a lot of scrutiny lately. You know, there's that article by Sally Jenkins yeah. who, uh, uh, who helped Lance Armstrong write his autobiography. It's all about. It's not about the bike uh, in the Washington Post this week. Um, you have any thoughts on that? So she helped Lance write his... She did. It, what, what did she say after uh, everything came out about uh, her experience? Well, yeah, but, no, I, I, think no. she, I, th- I think she kind of said, well... I think it's, right. a, it's a rough time for the, for the USOC. Yeah. And I see, when I read these articles, knowing the inside of it, I see a lot of one-sided misrepresentation. Not to say that there aren't things that need to be and could be dramatically improved with how we support our athletes, mm-hmm. um, but... It's, I think, like most things in the court of public opinion, they, they ride a, a wave of momentum of, this is horrible, let's tear it down. Mm-hmm. Um, That's literally so, what she said. That, right. Yeah, she said, knock it down. I'm not actually. original. Um, yeah, I, I, read, I read the outside uh, magazine outside yeah. as well. Um, so I just, I think that the, there's not enough of a story about the good things that are done. And 
and it they they've just kind of glazed over the fact that the USSC raises money and then they give it to the NGBs, and that's the national governing body. So mm-hmm. USA Track and Field, USA Swimming, USA Triathlon. Right. So the the blame can never be entirely laid on the USSC. Okay. It just it just can't. It's it's almost like a a school board that gives money to each school and then the school gets to to do what they want with mm-hmm. it. Um, the, each NGB is going to be just as uh, if not more um, responsible for what happens to their athletes. Mm-hmm. But it's, I mean, I, I think that the, the state of what happens to our Olympic athletes, so is horrible. Mm-hmm. And it, but I think the, the light should always be shown in the IOC. It starts at the top. That's yeah. where the issue is. That's this nonprofit entity that's you know, registered and located in Switzerland where nothing, no records are public. Mm-hmm. Um, that brings in the the billion dollar contract from NBC, and they divvy out a little bit of money to each of the international Olympic committees. So for us, it's the USOC. Mm-hmm. But the the framework of the system is still that athletes don't have any you know representation or rights to any of that that money. They're just supposed to get a gold medal, and then you can profit from it mm-hmm. on the side. So it's they're still stuck in the, the amateurism. Mm-hmm. Uh, that they came up in and then haven't uh, progressed with the times. Yeah. So I think there are a lot, a lot, of, and I'm biased, but I think there's a lot of good things that the USFC does. Um, but I think that they're certainly flawed. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the reason why I was prompted to ask the question is because you just described the way that they kind of lay the groundwork. At the, you know, they build the track and they do all these mm-hmm. and yeah. create a high performance center. And I was like, all right, that wasn't inside Jenkins' article. They do. Uh, I mean, it's they have amazing people that work there, and they're extremely dedicated to supporting the athletes. And so, do we support our athletes better than any other country from a logistics and championship standpoint? It's not even close. Like what the USOC does, definitely do. Do we 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 do so much more than all? So you got two hundred something countries, and most of them are going to come in there and they're going to share the same track and weight room. How do you think that is in your two weeks leading up to the right. games to be out there with all those people? They're going to just say, oh, we'll just take whatever nutrition you have. We'll just, you know, where the U.S. really plans out. And it's, we have the biggest contingent of athletes we have. So it's not, it's not easy. But, it, so there's a lot of good stuff that happens. And there's a lot of athletes that would, would tell you how much the USOC or their injury helped them win their medal. Mm-hmm. But the fact that they're going to walk away from it and not get anything else is, is to me, the, the tough one. Mm-hmm. So... I appreciate that. I appreciate your weighing in, dude. I like I said, I put you on the spot. Well, I'll but. tell you the one that's that's, and, and you can. It's so timely that anybody that's the head of any organization now, and something bad happens politically, and yeah, they get axed. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Scott Blackman, the the CEO of the USOC, just resigned, mm-hmm. and because the USOC is now connected to all the bad stuff that happened with. Uh, the, the physician mm-hmm. that was a USA Gymnastics yeah. head, head physician. I'll tell you from the inside, because, you, you know, you have the perception of, all right, I follow sports. This is what I think of the USOC. They have a bunch of overpaid guys, and what do they do? But on the inside, the general feeling that I've heard from everybody is that Blackman was a really good guy, and he did mm-hmm. more to protect athletes. Um, now, he's been diagnosed with prostate cancer, and so he's a lot of it makes sense for him from a health perspective. Mm-hmm. But... Every article is coming out saying he's axed because of the connection with USA Gymnastics, mm-hmm. and, and I think you know you paint this guy who had a had a really good career and helped a lot right. of athletes and did things for the right reason, but everyone's like, ah, oh, just you know, 
He sucks. He's part of that whole thing. Hmm. But the the flip side is he's probably a lot better person than he's being betrayed, but hmm. I don't know. It's, it's a complicated picture. Yeah. Yeah, because it sounds like he's, I mean, he's overseeing a lot of sports. I mean, this is not like an NCAA basketball coach who's claiming he doesn't know players are played. Players are paid, and it's like, okay, you have seven players. He's, yeah, he's <laughs> like, yeah. come on. Yeah, and they're on campus, like, he's living the, next Yeah, year. the AD. Yeah. You have all those sports underneath. Right, he's basically. overseeing um, an entire company, essentially. Yeah. 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 But it's, really what the USOC does is they need to bring in a lot of money mm-hmm. to divvy out. Mm-hmm. And the issue is how much of that money goes to the executives, how much goes to the athletes. And so you'll see you know, graphs that say yeah. you know, that less than 10% goes here or there. But it's not saying that all right, the USOC brings in whatever. If they bring in $100 million, and if they're giving $80 million to the NGBs, but they're not giving it to the athletes, well, that's not the right. USOC's yeah. fault. So some of those things are skewed. But, yeah, it's, but it's an interesting time. I mean, hopefully everything will come out, come that's, out better. That's kind of the, the gist of the criticism is that, that, that the executives make a whole lot of money and athletes are not making a lot of money. Yeah, uh, And that they're making, you know couple hundred thousand dollars in bonuses every year and somebody who wins a gold medal gets you know, $30,000 bonus or something yeah, like that. Right. Which, that's that's a resonant argument. Yeah. You know? So, let's kind of flip it, I guess, to something positive. Uh, so, you've worked with a lot of pro athletes and Olympic athletes, that sort of thing. Tell us, like, tell us something we don't know about, like, a good athlete that you like. Like, don't tell us, like, you know, the deep, dark stories of somebody that, you know, <laughs> yeah, out somebody that's exactly here podcast, what I'm going to do. But, the, uh, but, yeah. but, 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 like, like who's, who's one of your favorites to work with because they're just a good guy and a good well, athlete? Well, who's competing right now is Sam Kendrick. Okay. He's, okay. And he's a great story, but he's just a really good guy. He's um, a pole vaulter. So he got silver in Rio. He won the world championship last year. was undefeated. Um, he's a, a reservist in the Army. He was hard to see all the way through. Went to Ole Miss. His dad coaches him. Um, so I, I met him the first time. I, I contracted with Ole Miss uh, track and field team one year. Um, and it was mostly they hired me because they had a good sprinter. Um, and so it was 2013, 2014, I think that was when I, I worked with him. And so I, I met this kid, Sam Kendrick, who had just won NCAAs. And the first time I worked with him, I treated him after he had won. I was mm-hmm. like, this is a win-win. You, you literally, <laughs> you've already won. So yeah. you, just want, you just want to recover. Right. Um, and, and so I've gotten to you know, work with him over the years but he's you know he's like he's like captain america he is you know the nicest guy he's a patriot he's super polite he's friends with every athlete on the team because you guys know when you're on a track team it's kind of like america it's different the the events and the the different people on there are, are really diverse yeah and so Here's this, you know, smiley kid, you know, southern kid from Ole Miss that hangs out with the sprinters and the throwers. So seeing him at this level, and when he he went pro a year early, and usually I would say a pole vaulter that's going pro early, like what out of college? Yeah, like what? What's (laughs) that? That doesn't really make a lot of sense. But and his, you know, the 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 parent, you know, kid coaching dynamic Mm -hmm. often doesn't work, but this one totally works, and it's been. It's been fun to kind of hang out with him, and, and he teaches me about the pole vault. Like, I feel like I know a lot about events, but to really know an event, you have to do it. Otherwise, right. you don't really know it. But he's, he's explained to me that he and his dad made a plan, and his dad was his coach in college as well, that he's, he says he's not the fastest or most athletic. I, I think he's, if you watch him, he's pretty, pretty amazing. But he would say he's not at the same level as some of the guys he's competing against. So he did everything with a smaller pole than everybody else. And so the height of the pole is going to determine at what point do you let go and how high can you, you go. 
So every year, they have a plan for him to get a bigger pole and just increase his grip by so many centimeters. But what they saw is that that's going to make him much more athletic, better in the air, better at clearing the bar. And if they take that slow stepwise approach, he'll, he's already jumping heights that are winning the Olympics. When he actually has a pole, it's, sometimes he's on a pole that's a foot shorter than his competitors, and he's holding a lot lower. So when he actually slowly over time progresses to the point where he's holding at the same spot and he's in with bigger pull then he's going to be going a lot further but it you know they pull vault very much you know i do this technique you do this technique so they they kind of made their own way and they've shown everybody at work so that's that's a fun one to see and he's he's competing right now (laughs) like as we speak he's let's see here he was in first so that's that's a fun one. Isn't it? Josh is pulling up on his tablet, looking at the uh, live results here, trying to see how his man Sam Kendrick's doing. Yeah, and I love how you describe how the dad and and uh, they didn't decide. Okay, the end result is winning. Therefore, if we work backwards from this height, yeah. this is what you need to do. They started with where are you now, right. and then how can we build one step at a time? Yeah. Even in a, like, and I think in, in a lot of sports, a lot of just whenever you set a goal in anything, mm-hmm. the biggest mistake is when you say, all right. I want to be seven feet tall. So what do I do to get there? And it's like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> let's think about what you can control, and then let's just move it one step at a time. Right. You know, kind of bite off in small chunks. That's pretty you, interesting. You say, I, I want to be a sub-four-minute miler. Yeah. As opposed to saying, okay, I'm currently at 520. Right. So what can I do to get to 510? Yeah, they've had a good progression. Yeah. What's a yeah. reasonable jump every six months? Yeah. Right. We, I mean, and we talk about that all the time on this podcast about, you know, he always compares it to index investing. Mm-hmm. You know, and he likes the basketball like height thing. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, a good, that's a good one. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. uh, so, but I mean, I have a lot of, you know, it's it's pretty, it's definitely really cool and definitely an honor to get to work with athletes to that level, but it's fun when, you know, the ones that are really good guys. Like, Sam got a lot of press during the Olympics because he was he was literally starting his run-up in the pole vault, and the national anthem came on for the United States, and he stopped, dropped his pole, mm-hmm. and stood at attention. He's reservist. Yeah. yeah, but he's at the Olympics competing for yeah. a medal. Most guys <laughs> yeah. are just gonna. But he, yeah. you know, so that's it's good to have have stories about guys that are of of good character. And I, and I always will say that about you know track and field in general. Our professionals compared to the professionals from other sports, when you talk about character and what they do in the community and role models, it's not even close. They're mm-hmm. so much better than any. Uh, cross section of pro football, baseball, basketball. Give us another one. Um, this was fun. Give us another one. <laughs> yeah, enjoy <laughs> yeah, the story. Yeah, I, I only told you I was going to ask oh. you for one. So if you can't come up, Robbie with Andrews okay, so. is the nicest kid right now, and he's not. He's he's kind of on this up upward trajectory, but he's not quite lived up to the hype of what people want him to do. But he he's extremely talented, extremely nice, and humble. Um, he, I mean, he's he has wheels. He's his his 800 meter record, indoor high school record just got broken, um, and he's uh, he's someone that's really just close to making it to the next level. And when he does, I think he will. I think he'll he'll end up being a medalist for the U.S. Um, and he's just a really just nice guy. His dad's completely you know dedicated to helping and following and helping him. But he's he's coached by the Jason Vigilante that coached him in college. Still works in Texas, him, so. Well, he. No, uh, I competed against Virginia. Jason Vigilante in college. I remember. Oh, is that where Jason Vigilante Jason is? At, yeah. Okay. He coached him. At, well, he coached Robbie at Virginia. Now he's the uh, head cross coach at Princeton. Okay. And so Robbie's there with him at Princeton. Very good. Yes. 
Yeah, Jason Vigilante went to NC State, and I competed against him back in the day. You were better than him. I mean, I always make fun of ultimately. No, I, did. I, I think he, he he was faster than me, but I think ultimately what I accomplished was a little bit more than what he did. You were better at the in, at the end of your career. I mean, I always make fun of him that I remember at regionals. I mean, he would be like their fifth man, and he, he would look like he'd been in a fight and lost, <laughs> but he would just keep pushing, yeah. and he would be yeah. NC State's fish, fifth man and right. and get points from. But they had some really good guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was gonna say being fifth on NC State's team is nothing nothing to sneeze at, and of course. Neither he nor I would, uh, would would be able to compete in in today's ACC. Well, he uh, always so. he's. I've heard a lot of coaches say this. He'd say, you know, if I was coaching myself, I would be cut. Mm. He's like, you, I wouldn't have been good enough to yeah. make it, which I think is maybe not true, but it sounds good when a coach says it when they're talking to their kids. <laughs> right, right. To, to tell them what, Come from the bit. Um, well, let's. I guess let's kind of uh, wind it back a little bit then. Let's talk about sort of chiropractic more generally. Okay, that's all right. So. Um, uh, Patrick actually saw you what on Thursday? Thursday, yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say it's Sunday now. Patrick came to see you in your office on Thursday. I came to see you in your office on Friday. Um, I, I was talking to my wife uh, about about coming to interview you, and we were talking about how um, people who do be they pros, obviously, or or amateurs, uh, if they do sports at a high level, um, you need to have you know your gang, your your posse. Mm-hmm. You need to have your team, right? Yeah. And and you've been I would consider you part of my team personally for the past fifteen years, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and I've known you for longer than that, but but you've been like part like an indispensable part of, of Team George. For, 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 <laughs> so yeah. it's, been, it's been an honor to be part of that team. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you actually, actually, that's, your, that's the other pull. I was, was going to say, why, why aren't you wearing over. your Team George? I'm still pull waiting over. for it. <laughs> Uh, I don't know where it's at. I mean, I think I'll probably get a Team Casey shirt before I'll get a Team George shirt. Guessing, you know, who... who Well, well, Team Casey, their actual shirt does exist. Power Petals and Ponytails actually exist. Their shirts are out there. Are you wearing... Is that The Rock? That you're wearing The Rock's Under Armour? uh, Yes, I am, as a matter of fact. I'm ready to lay it the smack it down on this podcast interview. (laughs) Um, I figured you would appreciate that. Um, That I was wearing a Rock t-shirt. I recognize Um, it. But anyway, back to this like really okay. meaningful thing I was trying to Chiropractic. say. Chiropractic, <laughs> yes. Um, uh, the the no, but but so so I feel like um, you know early on in my career and when I when I you know when I was in college and was kind of more bulletproof and, and all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I didn't see a chiropractor or anything like that. But then around age twenty five, twenty six, when I started getting injured a little bit more often and started having to pay more attention to those small things and all that stuff, you know, I very much kind of started seeing you on a regular basis. Um, so. That was just kind of a way of setting up. Tell us a little bit about what chiropractic is and why athletes benefit from it. All right. So chiropractors are, I mean, first and foremost, they're, they're musculoskeletal specialists. And the, mm-hmm. the, their true specialty and what the, the four-year doctorate degree spends an, an enormous amount of time on is the spine and extremities. And it's looking at the position, the range of motion of the articulations of the spine and extremities and trying to make sure that they are in the correct position, have optimal range of motion so that your body works right. I mean, it's, you know, the, the basic tenet of, it is, tenet of it is what's very commonly talked about in anatomy and physiology is that structure determines function. Mm-hmm. If your structure is good, your function is going to be better. Right. And so chiropractors, you know, work um, a lot with the spine and then with everything that attaches to it. Mm-hmm. So um, chiropractors are hands-on treatment specialists. Um, so uh, by definition uh, and scope of practice, um, uh Drugs are not part of uh, what we do. There's a couple exceptions in states that are that need it, but for the most part, 
Uh, don't use drugs. Use hands to help restore function and motion. Mm-hmm. And what I find interesting about that is I can tell you, like for me personally, I'll come and see you because it's almost like slowly but surely the form starts to kind of one. It gets a little bit worse each day. And then I'll come see you and you kind of pop everything back into place. And then it's amazing how once everything aligns, it solves so many different problems in a way that like a pill can't. Can you talk about some common issues you see like with runners, with everyday runners? I mean, with runners and athletes, and <laughs> athletes, endurance yes. athletes. Yeah, I mean, so the the majority of injuries that happen for endurance athletes are overuse injuries. It's doing mm-hmm. the same motion, the same activity over and over again. And I mean, one of the analogies I always use with people is, I want you to beat yourself up equally. Right. I mean, that's wear and tear. We want it equal. We don't want one side, one area, one spot to work harder, to hit harder over and over. I mean, running is much tougher on you uh, from an injury standpoint than cycling and swimming just because of the, the ground reaction, the, mm-hmm. the hitting, hitting the ground over and over and absorbing those impacts. So, I mean, the majority of people that come see me, whether they're a, you know, I've, I'm going to run for the first time in my life or I want to win the Olympics, um, the initial thing that brings them in in most cases is my back hurts, my neck hurts, like, ow, Mm-hmm. fix it or I have this running injury IT band syndrome is probably one of the most common ones I see mm-hmm. um, hamstring strains are really common uh, plantar and Achilles I mean these are all overuse injuries and so people will come in for you know a chron- an overuse injury that happens slowly over time or sometimes it's more acute I was fine and then oh my gosh this just happened and so they just want to get fixed they just get me out of pain get me back out there which is always a goal you know for a chiropractor or any physician is how do we how do we fix it? Um, I, th- I think what chiropractors are good at is looking at the why. Um, yeah. All right, your hamstring hurts. Um, should I, you know, can we just work on your hamstring and make it feel better? Yes. Is it going to come back, though? It's looking at, you know, what I want to look at is someone's, the biomechanics that are specific to their sport, whether it's running, swimming, or biking. And in the office, I want to recreate the individual motions that the joint's involved. I mean, it's, if, I had a, if I have a lot of time and it's, uh, it's a necessity, then I'll want to watch that person run or swim or bike. But there you're seeing everything that's happening. If I can hone in on, all right, here is the spot where you have clearly lost your range of motion. And anything you do from this point on is going to be a compensation. If your hip won't fully flex or extend, you can still run. Your body will find a way. Your body is really good at compensating. But with compensation means you're recruiting muscles that you wouldn't normally. They're doing a job they're not made for. Um, and that you're also going to be very inefficient as well. So, you know, to me, what, what I was talking about chiropractic is, yes, let's get you out of pain. Let's, let's get you going. But what I think the biggest benefit for any athlete, but it's what the Olympic athletes will look for, is performance and recovery. They're, they're seeing, when I go, when I travel with UGA, they're not all hurt. I mean, hopefully none of them are hurt. Mm-hmm. If I go to the Olympics, it's I want my form to be as perfect as possible when I go out there. I want it to be smooth, efficient. You know, some of it is I want to feel good. But, I mean, there is a, certainly a science to how much more efficient are you going to be if mm-hmm. everything is moving smoothly, working in unison. And then when you have multiple events, it's how quickly can you recover from one before you do it again. Mm-hmm. So that's, I, I really enjoy helping with that. And sometimes I feel like it's, you know, you almost do a disservice to the profession if you just, all right, I just treat pain, that's it. Right. If you want. And it, it doesn't matter if you're training for the Olympics or if, if you just have a race or a goal. If, you know, if someone's goal is I want to run three days a week so I can get fitter and healthier, you know, we want to make sure they can reach that goal and not mm-hmm. have injury or pain get in the way of it. We want to see if they can get that, that benefit from, from doing it consistently. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's, that's definitely a lot of what we, we try to accomplish. Um, 
there are definitely uh, there's a distinction between someone that's a sports chiropractor and just a chiropractor. Mm-hmm. There, Tell there, us about that. Yeah. That you can get an actual certification, and it's what's required if you want to do anything with the USSC. And so it's a year program to become a, a certified chiropractic uh, sports physician. And then they have an extended one where you're getting um, uh, it's like a, uh, just another uh, extended version of that. Um, and, and so that's good. But in the end, to me, what a sports chiropractor uh, does is they just have a lot of... Um, personal or learned knowledge of sports and not just the injuries but of the different components of the sport mm-hmm. uh, and then there's a couple of things that I think now delineate um, in the, the basic chiropractic care is adjustments or manipulation where we're repositioning joints loosening the ligaments that are stiff and tight but with athletes you have to work on the, the muscles and tendons as well and so there's different techniques that have come up using your hands or different tools that, that also will help those muscles recover um and so that all this all the like ART and grass and stuff like that yeah yeah, yeah those, so you have to you have to do hands-on uh with with all the the soft and connective tissue components and that's new since you became a chiropractor is it it is it's come a long way i think um well now the difference is that the the uh people in chiropractic school are getting exposed and able to take it as part of their their coursework when I was in school, it wasn't. You had to kind of seek it out elsewhere. Mm. So it's definitely, yeah, there's been there's more, there's a lot more good opportunities to, to learn things that specifically will help athletes of all levels with uh, the hands-on treatment. And so, so let's take, for example, let's give just like sort of a, a specific example, iliotibial band syndrome, which you said that you probably see a lot of people. And I feel yeah. like a lot of triathletes in particular get that mm-hmm. because swimming, cycling, and running all can contribute to that, yeah, right. um, as opposed to you know something like like Achilles tendonitis. Well, you'll probably be okay on a bike, right? Um, but uh, so so, what are some things if you can say this? Because it might just be specific to every person. But but is there like a particular thing going on in someone's spine or pelvis or knee or something else like that that, that contributes to that? I mean, there's there's a couple different components that I would say are the biggest contributors. Um, I mean, the most common one is not the correct shoe for a runner if you're over pronating if that shoe does not fit your foot and work for it if the foot's always coming in then that's creating a tension so the it band is just a, a long tendon that starts at the hip from muscles there and it goes down and it crosses over the knee mm-hmm. and so it's just it's in the name it's friction mm-hmm. so what we're looking at is that uneven wear and tear so shoes that are bad will easily cause that mm-hmm. and that's that's an easy fix to just make sure you go to a running specialty store and and make sure the shoe really works for you, is fitted for you. Mm-hmm. Um, the one that I see the most uh, that I help with is, is what's happening with the pelvis. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the pelvis is your center of gravity. It's where the biomechanics of running, swimming, and cycling start. And if there's an inequality of motion, then the musculature and the hips is going to tighten up, and it'll pull down the side and, and affect the knee. Um, so those, those two biomechanic issues are, are huge and the other one for for people to look at is um is strength i mean when you look at uh you know when when we all started running all we did was run like right that's it now, we, we, we've joked about that on the spot yeah <laughs> so looking at look at strength but but the the thing that's significant with any overuse injury including it band is you should always work on core hips and glute like any runner or inter- you just should yeah we should do it but it's the one-sided aspect of the the injury and when, when you look at what do muscles do, muscles contract to move a joint or to stabilize it. They're, they're kind of dumb. They just, they're going to contract to do something. If you don't have the correct range of motion in the joints, 
you can have as strong muscle as you want. You can have as flexible muscle as you want. You're still going to have aberrant motion. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's important to, um, I, I mean, I always tell people I, I want them to be as self-sufficient as possible. I want them to be able to keep things from happening and fix them. Um, but at a certain point, if you can't correct, if you can't take care of, of imbalance and motion, then you're going to keep having issues. Mm-hmm. All right, we got something big here. All right, we're getting ready to watch the uh, the, the finals of the. Is this a sixty meter hurdles? Yes. So this is Aries Merritt Wheeler High School graduate. I was say, you, did he, he didn't go to UGA. No, he went to Tennessee. Oh, okay, but yeah, but no, I actually remember watching him at the uh, the state meet when he was at Wheeler, and yeah. he, he won by more than a second. So in he's hundred ten meter hurdles. World record holder, and his you know the big story with Aries that everybody always wants to talk about is he he uh, he had a congenital kidney disease, and his sister gave him her kidney. So in 2015, here we oh, go. Here it goes. Jared, uh, oh, false start. start. No, come on. All right, so keep telling us about the kidney. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he got a bronze in the 2015 World Championships for the kidney. They said was at, uh, it was a massive deficit of function. Mm-hmm. Like he was getting ready. He went straight from the World Championships in Beijing and got his kidney removed, and he got a bronze. Mm-hmm. He just missed making it back to the Olympics. But, yeah, for, for a guy to have a get a... He, he, he won a gold medal in 2012. 2012, yeah. and then he went on to break the world record, which he still has. Yeah, yeah, so which is brilliant. But, yeah, yeah it's for an athlete at this. Because I guess there have been a couple of athletes. Um, Alonzo Mourning had a kidney transplant and still played in the NBA for That's a little right. bit. But at the, you know, this level where a hundredth of a second is mm-hmm. what determines that, that type of mm-hmm. uh, you know, He's in the hurdles. One ten yeah. hurdles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not like it's not like oh, he's just you know gliding across the ground. And he, so he, you know, yeah. you get a transplant, you have to take anti-rejection meds. I mean, you have to. There's so much that happens in your life. That's the that's the replay of the false start there. So yeah, yeah. Is, but there's another guy in this race, Jared Eaton, that I really like um, because he is the definition of like track and field working man. He's been ranked top ten in the world. He has no contract. He was a national champion at Syracuse. It just for whatever reason he hasn't gotten a. A sponsor, so he's out there just working hard, and he's got one of the top times coming in. And now he's and in he's the indoor final, and he still doesn't have a sponsor. He doesn't. If he gets a medal, hopefully he'll get one. But all right, well, this guy from Cyprus is the one that evidently false started, so he's, he's, he's good. So he's out. out of there. So, yeah, yeah. So, so I'm not sure. Do, do you ever tell Aries, Mary? Do y'all ever talk about being wheel ride cats together? I, I, every time I see him, I say, "Hey, Wildcat." <laughs> yeah, we we, <laughs> we constantly <laughs> talk he's about like, it. He's like, I don't know why you keep calling me that. But. No, he thinks he, we we talk about it. And the, the fun, one of the funny things was, he's like, "Man." I was like, you know, Aries, that, that track is not looking so hot. He's like, I know. He's like, they told me they were going to name it the Aries Merritt track, and then they asked me for all the money to pay for it. And Wheeler? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, and, and Aries is a guy who did really well, but this last couple of years, he is not. And so he's, I'm sure he's not making the same money that he was. Yeah, he and I were actually uh, on, the, uh, on the bus at the University of Georgia one time together when I was there full-time working mm-hmm. uh, on my Ph.D., I looked up and he was sitting across from me in the bus, and I didn't recognize his face at the time. He was wearing a Wheeler Track T-shirt, and I said, "What's your event?" He said, "The the one ten hurdles." I said, "Oh, you're that guy." Da, da, da. And then he went on to be, you know, world champion, world record holder, Olympic medalist, Wheeler and, Wildcat. And that gets back to Josh's original point. And they're about to get started here, but it's amazing how you watch these Olympics, and a lot of them went to college and were almost anonymous on their own campus yeah. as they were winning national championships. All right, here he goes. Go. Oh, Eaton looks good on the outside. Jared's going to win it. Oh, did the Greek guy that, win that, it? That guy in the middle got it, didn't he? I know. They're showing, it, right. they're showing Jared. Eaton did look great. So, so yeah, yeah, they're both looking at each other. Oh, it was a British guy? Come uh, on now. 
Um, but I mean, he was top two, right? So yeah, yeah he got yeah. a medal. Um, right. Come on. Yeah, it's 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 only for those of you who are listening. It's only a it's a it's a seven point four second race, and so you know indoor indoor sprints tend to be very quick here. And so so now now they're all standing on the finish line trying to figure out who won since they finished pretty much all right on top of each other. Uh, it looks like oh, the British, British guy, won. guy won. Yeah, it's yeah. very different than the Ironman. Uh, Andrew Pozzi, the British guy, runs and some crowd points. likes that. Yeah, whatever. You know my thing with this, and you guys you talk about it sometimes, and you talk about being anonymous. Is the fanfare like mm-hmm. the Olympics? Everybody knows, but you know this is the only World Championship this year for track athletes. So we have all these people that run and do triathlons that they have no idea this is oh, yeah. like here. That they currently but, the, the Birmingham. It's in Birmingham. You know, England. everybody's a right. Birmingham's fo- in Alabama. Right? Everybody's a <laughs> football fan, but I don't know how this. You know, we have such a disconnect between the pros, and and it wasn't always like that. If you look at like in the fifties and sixties. Track was really popular. It was the cover of Sports Illustrated, but I guess they stayed amateur and all the other professional sports progressed. But well, then we transitioned from a newspaper society to a televised one, and I don't think we adapted. I don't think we adopted track meets to play well on TV. It doesn't work on TV. No, they still. (laughs) Though I will say, I got the Atlanta Journal and Constitution over there, and in the front of the sports page is is an article about Christian Coleman winning. The 60 meters at this championship. Now he's an Atlanta native. He went to Our Lady of Mercy High School, which is some little school. OLM. Yeah, but uh, I don't remember the last time that track like in a world indoors would be on the AJC. So at least that was yeah. that was something. But for sure, yeah. But what's interesting is it's almost the opposite. So I think we're getting increased. We are getting some. I mean, look at that. Holy smokes! Yeah, super close. If he just hadn't cut his hair, I think he would have won. <laughs> I mean. Um, we're just watching the replay of the 60-meter hurdles. But, um, it's not good for a podcast. We're, we're, yeah, we're, we're getting more... I know, right? We're getting more and more coverage of track and field. But So usually what happens is people love watching the NFL. So because they love watching the NFL, they sign up their son to play football. We're almost going the opposite route, where people are starting to run triathlons. They're starting to run marathons. And then they're saying, oh, well, now I'll start to check like track meets on my phone. Mm. So it's kind of interesting how it's it's building much more from the base up rather than moving. I mean, we have the greatest participation numbers in high school sports by far. Yeah, you look at cross country, Mm -hmm. um, and in the the, I mean, I think it's on it's on an upswing. I mean, one of the biggest things. So the ratings for all these meets they've been showing on ESPN for the last few years have been really good. Like they they when they flesh them out against all the other stuff, it's it's really good. But it's some of it's just the mainstream media coverage that like there's been a big push that why is ESPN not say cover we have we had a world record like those don't happen that often mm-hmm. right but the track has just fallen off of that mainstream coverage mm-hmm. um, and some uh, i think i think it'll get back but i mean you guys runners do like football george you know it's okay to be a runner <laughs> like football. It's, whatever man but i mean from yeah the, you, haven't, you haven't been running all that much lately so. oh. <laughs> <laughs> i was i was out at the river today man um, oh, right on. Very good. but well when you look at like football and its popularity pretty much no women play football ever mm-hmm. but they're all football fans or mm-hmm. kind of like people are the masses are fans of whatever is laid out for them it's supposed to be right popular and mm-hmm. Yeah, track. Hopefully, we'll get back there at some point. Okay, so well, on that note too, there's a, another another effort that you've been undertaking over the course. Of, oh, Sam Kendrick is now on TV. There mm-hmm. you go. Um, but uh, but there's another effort you've been undertaking over the course of the last short while here related to um, 
building Olympic athletes and building track athletes from the state of Georgia, right? So yeah, we founded the Georgia Track Club in 2014, and it was a pretty simple mission. We had all these amazing Olympic athletes, a lot of them from Georgia Tech and, <laughs> and elsewhere, uh, that 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 were doing amazing things, and but that didn't have a real connection to their community, and certainly didn't have nearly the support they should have, could right. have to excel at a at a, a world class Olympic level. So what we did with Georgia Track Club said, okay, we're going to create one team for. And we're going we're gonna to keep it local. Anybody that's from the state of Georgia, meaning you, you went to high, you graduated from high school here, um, or has gone to college or currently trains here. So right. fair, broad but specific. You know, Georgia athletes in some way, some connection there. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the, the goal was to support these athletes so that hopefully they could have a longer career mm-hmm. and really to also help transition them when they leave the sport to having some connections and experience in the business world so that they're not you know, what we've seen is you have a 30-something-year-old athlete with a lot of medals but no work experience. Right. And it's, it's really it's, it's tough for them. And then also to, to give back to the community. And, and all these athletes want to do that and say, all right, we're, we're here. We're from this community. We're part of it now. We, they can have such a connection with especially the youth. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, that's it's a nonprofit that's been around. And it's, we're, we're kind of dormant right now. We still have amazing athletes from the state. Um, just recently, we uh, added to the team Kendall and Devin Williams, that are our brother and sister, that went to Cal High School in Marietta, went to UGA. Um, Kendall was the Honda uh, Sports Award winner last year, which the, the Honda Award is for the best athlete in college that year. Not not track athlete, but best athlete. Oh, so wow. It's a, fairly, it's a big deal. And she went to the Olympics and World Championships while she was in college. Her brother was a... Uh, went on our decathlon teams. They're multi-event athletes. So we have a lot of great athletes, but it's still hard. It's hard to – what I learned is for big corporations, the the Coke, the AT&T, there's a lot more reasons for them to not support you than support you. Right. And so we are, our, our goal is to kind of reboot it um, and go after more of the smaller local businesses mm-hmm. um, and focus more on doing events in the community um, that maybe have some sort of uh, – a way to, to supplement our athletes for going out there, but um, what, what it seemed is that when you go to a corporation and say, all right, you know, give me X amount of money, look, we have all these medals, we're going to get more, and we'll do some stuff in the community. It's a little tough, but, mm-hmm. but it's much easier to go and say, hey, we're going to do a you know, fight childhood obesity and stay in school program, and we're going to do it at these two schools. And they'll say, yeah, well, let, let us give you money to do that. That sounds great. Yeah. So, um, it's, you they can, want some sort of specific measurable result. So yeah, some sort not, of, not some, the some big sort of visible yeah, return on their the, investment. The big thing. Yeah. Uh, is, yeah, they're not looking to sponsor a, a nonprofit pro track and field team yeah. just yeah. yet. Yeah. So yeah, I'll still uh, yeah. try and do People that. Work. But it's yeah. uh, it's been an education in how nonprofits work. Yeah. Um, but our state has has quite a legacy in our, our schools and, and for sure. creating these athletes. So. Yeah. I have two more questions for you. I think Patrick probably has a couple more things he wants to ask you as well. All right, so two more questions. Number one, and I literally just thought of this as we were talking. Oh, man. Didn't you work on The Big Show one time? (laughs) Yes, I did. Right I did, yeah. The Big Show, for those of you who don't know, is a massive human being who who wrestles or used to wrestle for the WWE. Really? Uh, Yeah, he's like 7'6", like 450. Yeah, he's a big, and he's not obese. He's just... A mountain. Yeah, and Josh, you were not seven six four fifty. No, um, but yeah, you were you were trying to manipulate this dude's joints. Yeah, I mean, I was like the first year I was in practice, and I had a, a friend that uh, a trainer recommended me, and they were in town. And said, "All right, you know, bring your table over to 
the was it the Omni in two thousand one? Maybe might have been the Phillips Omni. Arena was like ninety nine. Okay, so it was Phillips then, um, and yeah, I worked on a bunch of different athletes, but he was certainly the most memorable. And he yeah, he gave me a great compliment. I was doing everything I could, but he's literally so big. The portable table I had just couldn't, you know, it, it could hold him. I had a really good portable table, but you couldn't do everything. I was like, you know, if you come down to my office, and I worked on him a lot, and I was just sweating. And, and after, he was like, man, you did, you did more than anybody else has done with me, so thank you. Uh, and then he went back to reading one of the, like, four books he had with him. Really, like, articulate, smart dude that was hanging out there, you know, reading books before he went out. Um, and it was, it was the first... It was the first year that Brock Lesnar was mm-hmm. on. And I don't like professional wrestling, I'm going to be really honest. What? It's not a sport, man. No, I'm just kidding. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it's entertainment. It's great entertainment. Um, but Brock Lesnar from MMA and then went into the that WWE was right and when then he, went back into MMA. I think this was pre... I think he did WWE, then he did MMA. Yeah, he did. Um, and he was yeah pretty intense. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was, yeah, that was fun. I don't list that on my resume. Maybe I should. More people <laughs> will appreciate that than, or, than or, the Olympics. Or less. Yeah, may, you, know, you, you might lose some of your Olympic gigs, but you might, uh, you might get more big show gigs. I don't know how you manipulated somebody that big. I mean, did you get like a rubber hammer to like I just go, pop man. everything back just, into place? You just, gotta, you just gotta do it. But there's one thing that I like that I do on you guys that I think works really well for athletes. It's called a, a side posture adjustment mm-hmm. where you're laying on your side and I'm putting pressure on your, your pelvis and you can just Loosen up the ligaments and really get range of motion back. He was too big for that. Like, he just, he was, it was impossible. Hmm. And that's why I was like, man, I have this table in my office. And he's like, yeah. but I, I was able to work on his neck. And I just remember his head weighing, like, a lot. Like, <laughs> like, 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 just being, he was, he was big. But really, you know, again, really nice, you know, showed me all the books he was reading. Yeah. Um, so that that's was. why his head was so heavy. That, that's exactly right. Yeah. Uh, but it was, it was fun. It was, uh. And then the other question I wanted to ask you was about stretching. Oh yes. Uh, and so, so I and and you're good friends with Pete Ray as well. Um, and and you and I and Pete know each other for all the same reasons that we were counselors at running camp together. But then just part of the Atlanta running community together. Um, you know, fifteen twenty years ago. Um, so we had Pete on a couple weeks ago, uh, and I mentioned to him. I said, uh, "You told me." 20 years ago that you didn't stretch, you didn't believe in stretching, he said. And uh, I said, how do you feel now? Do you still feel the same way? And he and he's talked about mobility and how important mobility was and, you know, kind of that, that new movement towards mobility. He said, but no, I still very much believe that stretching, you know, damaged muscles or injured muscles is, is bad for you and can create injury. Um, and we got a lot of email, mm-hmm. a lot of comments, and a lot of questions from people saying, so am I supposed to stop stretching now? And I, and I promised that we would ultimately, and we talked a little bit more about it in the next podcast. So I'm cleaning up for we, Pete Ray? So yeah, you're cleaning up for Pete That's Ray. Well, you typical. Know, That's what's new, man, right? <laughs> yeah. But, but, it's, it's a timely one. It comes up so much. And I mean, not us, just yeah. you know Pete Ray. I mean, Jeff Galloway has done more you know, our local running, original running celebrity in mm-hmm. Atlanta. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Olympian, st- founder of Philippines. Yeah, done yeah. a lot uh, to yeah. run, walk program. Stretching is like anything else in, in athletics or sport. If you do it correctly, it's beneficial. If you do it incorrectly, it's not beneficial. I mean, it's, it's like brushing your teeth. If you brush your teeth really hard, you mess your gums up, right? And your right. And like, don't, don't do that. You're just nice and soft, and it's really beneficial. Stretching is definitely beneficial. You can find plenty of, of research and literature to support it. You can also find research to probably disprove it. But when you look at what muscles do, it's all about what is a, what is muscle's resting length. Mm-hmm. Meaning when you're just relaxed or if when you're warmed up, how, how long is your muscle? The shorter the resting length of a muscle, 
the less power it can produce, the less it can do its job. Now, mobility and dynamic warm-up have become a lot more popular and they're super beneficial. But if you take runner A and runner B, and one of them has really tight short hamstrings, runner A has really tight short hamstrings, runner B has nice length and good, good resting length hamstrings, runner B is going to be less likely to get injured and they're mm-hmm. going to have a more efficient stride. They're going to have a longer stride. So right. Right, how do you get from point A to point B? Faster. Mm-hmm. Either pick them up quicker, which takes more energy, or have a longer stride. Mm-hmm. So you just have to know how to stretch. I mean, stretching should never hurt. Right. If you feel pain when you're stretching, then you're doing it wrong. You know, people are like, oh, I want to feel that burn. Great. That's, you want to feel a stretch. You want to feel lengthen. You want to feel tension. If you mm-hmm. feel burn or pain, you're tearing fibers. Mm-hmm. And you know, our muscles are fibers that are connected together, and they have the ability to lengthen and, and contract. And the greater that ability, the more, the more uh, efficient uh, that, that muscle can be. So you know, with stretching, what I'm a big proponent of is do it after you've done any type of physical activity. Because running, cycling, swimming, it's contracting muscles over and over again to cover distance. Right. So when you finish an activity, those muscles are nice and warm, but they have to be short because you've used them so many times. So that's a perfect time to gently lengthen them so that they will not get too stiff and tight. And then when you talk about recovery, which you guys like, and that's what I always talk about, and you take a really tight muscle at night and you take a nice lengthen out muscle... Which muscle you think is going to get more blood perfusion? Which muscle you think is going to get more oxygen and nutrients into it? Definitely the, the lengthened one. Mm-hmm. So you just, you got to do it correctly. Gently um, was a key word there, it seems like. Yeah, w- without a doubt. You just want to feel whatever the muscle you're stretching, you want to feel it in the middle of the muscle. If you're stretching your quad, you're in the front of your leg, you want to feel it right in the middle. You don't want to feel it at the knee or at the hip where the tendons mm-hmm. attach. Tendons don't really stretch. So And muscles that are really tight need help being able to loosen enough uh, to lengthen so we talk about the foam rollers or lacrosse balls or using your hands there's things you can do to make a stretch safer and more beneficial but um the yeah the the not stretching thing um and it's you know i, I know people say well look at all these pros you know they stretch and it's good for them and I, you can go either way with that you know they're they're really good but i will say that most most olympic athletes are going to have a program of stretching done correctly i don't know anybody at the the Olympic level that doesn't stretch. Mm-hmm. Now, we've talked to about in the past about dynamic stretching versus static stretching. Mm-hmm. Do you kind of recommend, you know, like a heavier dose of dynamic stretching versus static? I mean, does it maybe start with dynamic? I think dynamic is best for, for pre, without right. a doubt. Right. That, that just makes sense to, to warm up the muscles. But I think static can be, uh, can be very beneficial as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, other time that I really encourage people to stretch is in the evening for that recovery component. Right. Um, and so I always think a safer way to stretch is to do a, a shorter hold and do it multiple times. You've got receptors in your tendons and the muscles that sense when you lengthen a muscle too much and they start to inhibit. So if you just do a three or four second hold, you're not fighting that, that reflex of your body. But then you um, do it ten times. Yeah, and do, do it repetitively. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that... That, that static can be good um, and that more the active isolated stretching I think is a more efficient form of static stretching meaning if you're stretching your hamstring you tighten your quad because they're they're innervated uh, reciprocally meaning you tighten one the other one reflexively is going to lengthen right. so you can get a little more bang for your buck that way mm-hmm. but I, th- I think with stretching the biggest thing is doing it correctly having a plan saying alright yeah. I'm going to these are my five stretches that I've got to do mm-hmm. um, but yeah so I I, I want to talk to Pete 
<laughs> You'll see him probably sooner than I will, so so y'all will probably cross paths. You know, I think Pete, he wants to. He, you know, you got a podcast. You want to you want to throw something out there. You want to get a little fire. <laughs> he's trying to stir want, things up to, yeah, to drive traffic you know, to ZapFitness.com. He, he's, he's an author too. You know, he's a writer. He's <laughs> he's another Georgia Tech attendee. So he is a Georgia Tech attendee. Yeah. So that's probably the highlight of his college career before he went and finished at UConn. Uh, <laughs> I, I also feel like it's it's important to mention. I look down and realize I'm wearing BB-8 socks. I was thinking on the way over here. You and I, I think, saw episode two in the theater together. We did. That's Attack of the Clones. It's a vague memory. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's oh, just it's, good it's, that it's it vague was... for you, man, because you know you've gone out and had these great Olympic uh, experiences. It's it's vivid for me. I just remember other things with you. That, that other, <laughs> other than that. So do you have other stories to share? <laughs> oh yeah, the one he referenced. That the birthday one is great, and it's it's appropriate for all audiences. We we were at a running. We spent all summer running camp together. We spent three weeks in Asheville, North Carolina, and that's the first time we bonded. I didn't. I didn't. You know, George was faster than me, and probably yeah, definitely smarter than me. So I didn't really like him in high school. <laughs> so, um, and he was really humble back then and, and fun to be around. So we, but we we worked at this running camp in North Carolina, and we had had a lot of fun. And then we went up to another running camp in uh, in Lindenville, Vermont, um, the Northeast Kingdom. They call it. We we, we both we drove there. We caravan. You drove that minivan filled with shoes. I flew into New Jersey and got that. And oh, then that's what it up. was. Yeah. yeah okay. But, so 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 I remember following you on ninety five oh, right. through the Bronx. Oh gosh, we did. We're yeah. So lucky we made it. I know, right? Anyway, keep going. <laughs> I do. You know, everybody's memories. I have so many things that I can remember really well, and so much more that I. Totally <laughs> forgot. So you blacked yeah. out to preserve your sense of self. I, now I remember. Place. Yeah, <laughs> I remember us driving. Well, now, now, now he knows things like you know, innervated reciprocally. You know? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's important uh, to clear up that space in your brain. Mm-hmm. So George had the great pleasure of turning twenty-one while we were in Lindenville, Vermont, mm-hmm. and there. No place else you'd rather be for that. There, I don't even. Was the bar in Lindenville? It was in St. Johnsbury. There's no bar in Lindenville. I, I, I don't. I don't. I remember the bar. But I remember it was kind of downtown. It's Saint. But. Yeah, St. Johnsbury, which is a town that's further south. It's a little, a tiny college town. Um, and we we went to this bar, Gumby's. Gumby's. And you know, it's, I had turned 21 earlier in the summer, I believe, uh, or maybe the year before. And so, of course, you go into the establishment and you say, "Hey, it's my good buddy George's 21st birthday." You know, can we get a? You want to get us free beer, a free shot? No. <laughs> Seriously, man. Like, no. And it was, I, I think I was really offended, and it wasn't even about George. It was just about me being told no to something that I was sure is yeah. is unwritten law. Like, yeah. and a, the guy was not nice about it. He was, and well, so you know, we had a good. He had a good twenty first birthday. You know, you it know. came back around within within the next year. Gumby's burned out. <laughs> we, we both saw. Oh we, we both saw that the bar burned down, and we said, "Yep, karma." <laughs> That's what you get, that's, buddy. You should have given me a free right. beer for my 21st birthday. But that's a great... You, you're going to remember that more than most of your friend's 21st birthday, just oh, from well. the location and, mm. yeah, the people the yeah. people there, so... Well, it gives it kind of a James Dean-type quality, the fact that the, the bar, you can no longer go there. Yeah. Right. You know it, what I mean? It it's, it's like, yeah, we can never go back there down. again, you know? It, it reached its climax on August 7th of 1995. So, and you actually, earlier that day, less than 24 hours earlier, it was, it was midnight... Where it turned over to my birthday, and and, and you were like, "Hey, happy twenty first birthday! Hey, you want a beer?" And you gave me a little Bats Blue, and that was my first legal beer. <laughs> Man, this is this is good. I I guess we got to sit down later and see what other stuff I've forgotten. <laughs> that's really it's really good. Uh, George would be like, "You forgot? You owe me money." <laughs> <laughs> 
No, definitely not. Definitely not. Um, well, Josh, man, you, you, so, you so, to, so to bring it back, you obviously see a lot of everyday runners, triathletes, etc. If you have one piece of advice you give to everyday runners and triathletes about what they can do to keep themselves right and keep themselves moving, what would it be? Pressure's on, Josh. Like well, we, don't, we don't want to leave people with the image of my 21st birthday. We want to leave people with a good piece of knowledge they can apply. I don't want to be like Pete Rand to say, don't stretch and exactly. drop the mic. <laughs> and, and, and then drop the mic and walk off. Exactly. No. So, so, so what's, what's the big thing you would tell us, Josh? The, the biggest thing is having a plan. Yeah. But it's it's more, and, and you guys talk about it. I was very impressed listening to the one podcast. I can't wait to listen to all of them now. <laughs> uh, is, you know, what do people think? When, you're, when, when, when someone's trying to get fit, mm-hmm. athletes and coaches focus on the same thing. Yeah. The workouts, the workouts, the workouts. It's the recovery. Mm-hmm. So that's what you need to focus on equally. That's what I, I tell that to some coaches, and they're like, you need to get out of my face. I want as much thought and effort, as much planning put into the recovery. And so it's going to be a little different. It was great you talked about sleep. I mean, that's, I've been preaching that for years in that last podcast. So I just want people to have a plan. Sorry, if, I, if on this side, this is my training plan, and on this side, this is my recovery plan. Mm-hmm. And I write down the recovery plan just as much as I write down the training plan. I hold myself accountable to that just as much. Um, stand up, standing workstations. If I got to tell somebody one thing, sitting is, is a bane of... All evil for endurance athletes. Yeah. And you're sitting, your hip flexors are short, and your hamstrings are tight, and you're putting pressure in your low back, which is, again, that center of gravity where you move from. So if you want to pick one thing to help, get a standing workstation. That's that's a variable you can control that'll, that'll help to, you. To your credit, you've been saying that for 20 years. Um, like you, I, remember, I remember you were telling me a long time ago about sitting and commuting and how chairs are designed, and that's not. And, and I, remember, I remember you telling me that, like man, literally should, in the 1990s. Wish I would have cashed in on that. Right? Somehow. <laughs> yeah. It's like now, man. Everybody, now, now everybody would be citing you. Sitting is a new smoking. Smoking. Josh Glass, 1997. Yeah, I missed uh, the boat on that one. Oh well. Oh well. Uh, well, Josh, man, we're glad we had you. Thanks, man. This was fun. So it was fun for us too. All right, we're going to turn you into a podcast listener, or at how, least a podcast star. How do you pick your music? That snazzy music at the beginning? Uh, yeah, uh, I'd like it, to say that it's 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 not because it was less expensive, but it is. I mean, you you know, you're people don't know you're a music aficionado, and you're like a hardcore Michael Jackson guy. Like oh. back when it wasn't cool to like Michael Jackson, you were listening on driving across the country to mm-hmm. Michael Jackson. So I would have expected that. Like John Williams Star Wars, like you got to pay. For those, right? <laughs> I, I think John Williams Star Wars was the original plan, and then oh, you got to pay for that. Dude, stuff. If, we, if, if we like had a, had a nice intro to like "Don't Stop Till You Get Enough" or something like that, <laughs> that would probably cost us like twenty thousand dollars. How do podcast. you uh, how do you become a sponsor? Like how I heard you got sponsors. Would you like to be a sponsor of our <laughs> podcast, Josh? I mean, uh, my, it, it could it could yeah, be ITL I, Coaching and Performance, Casey the Travel Planner, and Georgia Sports Chiropractic. I think that's a fun idea. It is. We got we got to see what it's gonna entail. Right. <laughs> yeah, we'll, de- we'll definitely talk here. Thanks again, Josh. We really appreciate it, man. Thank you, guys. And that does it for another edition of the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance. Uh, We hope you enjoyed our interview with Josh Glass. If you have some topic you want us to talk about or some person you want us to reach out to that maybe we can talk to on the podcast, uh, be sure to let us know. Uh, You can find us at Pleasant Podcast on Twitter. Uh, MostPleasantExhaustion.blogspot.com is where we never post our show notes. Facebook.com slash Pleasant Podcast is uh, is where you can find us on Facebook and where a lot of people interact with us there. Uh, Also, you can go to ITL Coaching at itlcoaching.com at itlcoaching on Twitter 
uh, facebook.com slash ITL Coaching and Performance. Uh, we also have one more sponsor, as you all know. Maybe we'll have two more sponsors here. Georgia Sports Chiropractic. We'll have to reach out to them and see if we can make something with what Josh said there at the end of the interview. Uh, but anyway, in the meantime, uh, our other sponsor, our final sponsor, is my wife, The Travel Planner. Uh, Facebook.com slash Casey Travel Planner MEV. Um, you can also find her at Casey Travel Planner at gmail.com. That's K A C I E Travel Planner at gmail.com. And at her website, CaseyTravelPlanner.com. Thanks again for listening, everybody. This is George Darden, and on behalf of Patrick Ollinger, thanks for listening to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast, and we'll see you next time.